Magnus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I'm supposed to tell you is that I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows, but today I'm not completely sure what I'm going to be talking about. You see, guys, what happened was a couple of months ago, or actually, I guess at this point it was probably several months ago, I received in the mail a, basically it was a shipment, all right? Mark Kambach, a listener of this show, sent me, uh, he, he sent me a book, uh, this is uh, the Harvard Lampoon's Board of the Rings, uh, several months ago, and so I did, it was, th this was just me being sort of cheeky, I guess, but I... Uh, did an unboxing on my podcast because I thought it would be kind of funny, you know, to do a just to do it that way. I, it just seemed it just seemed kind of you know clever and uh, cheeky and, and and all that. So you know, went ahead and did it. And next thing I know, that apparently <laughs> inspired uh, Mark to send me even more stuff. And honestly, guys. It really is kind of him to do this. It's very sweet and considerate, you know, and especially because of this whole COVID lockdown that we've been, that we've all been living with lately. It's actually been kind of nice to have stuff to read and have stuff to look forward to getting in the mail and all that stuff. And so uh, I would just like to take uh, this opportunity to start my show off by saying thank you again, Mark for uh, sending uh, the Harvard Lampoon's Board of the Rings to me ages ago. I, you know, really appreciate that. Had a great time reading it and everything, and uh, thank you very much. Now, getting into uh, today's subject matter, though, I received two more items. I assume these are books, but I don't actually know. I received two more items from Mark, and... Guys, this is kind of putting me in a weird position as a podcaster, because before I knew that that Mark was going to send me uh, Board of the Rings. We traded some PMs about it, and, you know, he made it very clear that's what he was going to be sending. This time, I don't actually know what both of these items are. I know what one of them is, but I don't know which one is which, and I don't know... I don't really know the... Like for sure, what's in the, you know, the the other the other package? It could be anything. Could be something Lord of the Rings related. Could be something totally off topic uh, from Lord of the Rings. I have absolutely no idea, and so I'm about to find out. But I must say that as a podcaster, it's very rare that I start recording without knowing what it is exactly that I'm going to be talking about. And yet, that is the position I find myself in here, at least somewhat. So it's actually kind of a this is actually kind of a treat, you know? This isn't something that uh, I've ever done before. I truly don't think I've ever started recording without knowing generally what I'm going to be talking about. You know, even the episodes that I've done with other podcasters where we just get together and shoot the shit, well, we're still coming together on, on the assumption that we're going to talk about something probably related to comics or probably related to TV shows or probably basically something geek oriented in some way or another and I generally know what my guests 
preferences are, what they enjoy talking about, and all that fun stuff. Here, guys, I got nothing. So, um, I guess we're just going to have to uh, see how things go, because uh, this could go a lot of a lot of different ways. So, uh, basically, since this is an audio format, I can't... It, I, I should... I'm going to upload pictures of me doing the unboxing and all that stuff. I'm going to upload pictures of that, but uh, basically what Mark has done, he's got considerable artistic talent, Mark does, and so what he's what he did on uh, on these uh, packages, the first one I'm going to be opening, it's, it's got my uh, alias, it says Trenis Magnus uh, on, on the package, and of course it's got my address, it's got Mark's return address, and all that stuff. And obviously this is all going to get uh, blacked out. It's going to get redacted when I uh, post pictures on uh, Facebook. But aside from that stuff, uh, he drew my name sort of as a logo. So instead of just writing out my name, it's actually very logo-like. And then, because apparently, I, I guess that, that wasn't enough for Mark. He really wanted to uh, 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 do some drawing here. Uh, the the envelope or the packaging, whatever we're calling this thing, it's actually got an illustration of Batman on here, and it's it, it's just it's really fun, it's really cool, and it just kind of gives the uh, this uh, package a it just gives it a little something something, you know, it, it just added value, and so. As happy as I am to receive stuff in the mail from Mark, no, pretty much no matter what it is. Well, now I've got this as well, and so it's like part of me is kind of loath to uh, cut the uh, package open, and yet I don't really have too much of a choice, so pretty much have to do it. So, uh, bearing in mind, I know this is an audio medium, and I know that you guys can't see everything that I'm doing, but I'm going to be. I'm going to try to be kind of careful here about how I open this thing. See if I can sort of protect his art a little bit. Uh, but we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Let's see. Yeah, here's a good little opening right here. Got my uh, pocket knife. It's ready to go. And let's see. I can only imagine how much fun this must be to listen to, you know? Riveting. Absolutely riveting podcast. And of course, being as I'm using a pocket knife to open this, I have to be careful to not cut the book. Basically, have to do this in such a way where as I scalp the package without damaging the contents. So, easier said than done, perhaps, but I, I don't know. Seems like I'm, like I'm doing a basically a good job here. I've wondered, you know, uh, if I know that one of the one of the items that uh, Mark nailed to me is Tolkien related in some way or another. But now I'm kind of wondering if both of these are going to be somehow Tolkien related since I gotta tell you, Mark really does seem to be a pretty big uh, Tolkien fan. Uh, bigger, I would say, even than myself because I don't really know if it's fair or accurate to uh, call me a Tolkien fan. I enjoy Lord of the Rings, and I enjoy the book, and I definitely enjoy the movies, but, you know, does that mean that I get to call myself a Lord of the Rings fan? 
Well, I don't, I don't really know. So I've got to a little bit of a pausing point here. What I want to do is just take a picture of the package, at least as I've unwrapped it so far. Let's see. All right. Okay, so let's see what we got. Oh, looks like I got a little bit of a boo-boo on my finger. I don't know how that happened. All right, so let's just slide this thing on out of here. That's what she said. Wow, this thing's really jammed up in there pretty good. That's also what she said. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah, see, I knew he was going to send me this. I was trying to speak in riddles just a little while ago. But I uh, I knew that... Because Mar Mark outright said that he was going to send this to me. So... I've got the uh, the Batman package open here, and what I just uh, pulled out of the uh, packaging. This is this wow, and this is a hardcover edition too. Wow, looky here! But um, this is a book called There and Back Again: An Actor's Tale, written by Sean Astin with a uh, with a uh, Joe Layden. And uh, the little blurb on the backside says, "The Lord of the Rings films of 2001 to 2003 make up." the highest-grossing trilogy of all time, breaking all box office records to secure their places in history. Sean Astin, who played the character of Sam Gamgee, was there on the set for nearly two years of his life, and this account is, the, is of the on-and-off-screen events before and during the filming through his eyes. There and Back Again is not only an extremely personal and immensely readable behind-the-scenes look at what was like uh, of what it was like to be involved in one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. And that's one hell of a dependent clause there. It's also the true story of an underdog who succeeds in making his dream a reality. So that's really neat. And then of course the uh, the uh, jacket. It's got kind of a longer little blurb on there. Probably a little bit too long to read here. Um. Hopefully the copyright gods won't get too mad at me if I read uh, just uh, maybe a little bit of the book itself. So, <clears throat> let's see. This is uh, page one, and it says, uh, chapter one, obviously. I sensed from the very beginning that Lord of the Rings had the potential to, uh, had the potential to be something extraordinary. Not merely extraordinary in the way that, say, Raiders of the Lost Ark was extraordinary, as, uh, as pure uh, cinematic adventure, a thrill ride of the highest order, but as something even more. I'm talking about epic filmmaking not seen since the days of David Lean or John Ford. I know that the director, Peter Jackson, or rather, I knew that the director, Peter Jackson, was a man of prodigious talent and vision, an artist capable of creating a film that might one day be mentioned in the same breath as Lean's desert classic Lawrence of Arabia. The Lord of the Rings, I thought, I hoped, could be like that. Oscar-caliber art on par with the best films ever made. How did I know this? Well, sometimes you just get a gut feeling. It's as simple as that. As a journeyman actor, I've, sur uh, I've survived by seeing an opportunity pop up on the radar screen, guessing kind of intuitively what the odds are of success, and then determining whether I want to be part of that project. 
Sometimes, for practical, real-world reasons, I've made decisions knowing full well what, what the cycle would be, and that my association with a given film might even have a minor negative impact on my image or marketability. As in any field, you calculate the odds and make a choice, and then you live with it. You can wait so long for Martin Scorsese, or rather, you can only wait so long for Martin Scorsese to call. Sometimes you have to take the best available offer. I've done any number of low-budget movies uh, in which my participation was based primarily on the following logic. All right, it's a week out of my life, or six weeks out of my life. The money is pretty good, and I don't have to audition. Let me take a look at the script. Does my character have a banana sticking out of his ass? No? No banana? Well, then how bad can it be? It's a third-tier knockoff of a die-hard movie, but the morality is reasonably intact. The violence is kind of sophomoric, but not gratuitous, and for the most part, everyone keeps their clothes on. Most important of all, is anybody in the business ever going to see it? Not likely. Okay, where do I sign? And maybe that's a, about as far as I should get into this. Again, I really don't know what the legalities are of reading too much out of a book, and especially since I, I would imagine Sean Astin probably wants you to buy the book. Maybe that'll be a, a good way of whetting your appetite and uh, getting you interested in, in what it is that he has to say. Now, guys, I must tell you that, look, it's not like I was on the set of Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, during shooting. I have no idea what really went on there. You know, I know what the all the uh, uh, DVD bonus material, I know what that stuff would have us believe. But in terms of you know, like firsthand experience. I, it's not like I have any way to speak intelligently about that. Having said all of that, though, one of the one of the impressions that you're kind of hard pressed to almost miss when it comes to the production and behind the scenes baloney of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is is the fact that, you know, the cast, they really did bond with each other. The uh, the crew, they really did bond with each other. And as a result, it seems like those people, they made friendships and uh, connections with each other that persist to this fucking day. Bearing in mind that it was over at this point, it was over 20 years ago, that they first began shooting those films. And so... I've always thought that it was kind of interesting that you see it all the time in like this kind of fluffy electronic press kit type uh, stuff that people say, oh, we were like a family on set. And I remember people saying that about uh, Justice League, the movie Justice League, even under uh, Joss Whedon, you know, that everybody, it was all for one, one for all, you know. And then what you find out is maybe it wasn't so shiny, friendly, happy on set every single day. Maybe there were real problems and real conflicts that erupted. And maybe, and this is actually one of the reasons why I don't really like learning a whole lot about behind the scenes type stuff anymore, is honestly, the less I know about how, how the sausage gets made, the happier I tend to be. So I can't speak for anyone else on that, but sometimes ignorance truly is bliss, you know? And I say all of that to say that the 
experience that most people seem to have had working on Lord of the Rings, it really does seem like that was a very special time for all parties concerned. They they bonded with each other. They they made friend uh, friendships that are going to last for the rest of their lives. This really was a a truly um enjoyable experience. It was a very spiritual journey for a lot of people and they got more out of it, a lot more out of it than just a paycheck, you know, or just a chance to travel the world or a a career defining op- uh, opportunity or career making opportunity or, or or just whatever. It went a whole lot deeper than that for a lot of people. And the thing about it is, that's not necessarily what anybody signed up for. I get the idea that most of the people involved with making the movie, they really were legit Tolkien fans. I mean, um, the the writers of the movies, that is to say Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens, they really are Tolkien fans. Um, the uh, cast members, they really are Tolkien fans. The The prop makers and set designers and stuff really are Tolkien fans. And certainly, um, you know, Alan Lee, John Howe, and other designers, uh, you know, sort of like conceptual designers involved with the movies, they are Tolkien fans. I mean, that's how Alan Lee and John Howe, I don't know if that's how they made their living before they started working on the movies, but they were very prolific Tolkien artists. And so this is one of those things where when Sean Astin says that, you know, he saw a career opportunity here, but he also saw that this was going to be a truly great piece of art that I actually find that very easy to believe. You know, um, I can buy that he he saw an opportunity here that was for something a lot more than just a paycheck. Now, I have no idea what the pay scale was like for any of the cast members. And again, I don't especially care to know because, again, guys, ignorance is bliss. But this is one of those things where I I just can't shake the suspicion that virtually everybody involved with making these movies, yes, it was a fun experience. Yes, they probably made some decent money out of it. Yes, they probably got a lot of career opportunity. I mean, I, it's if I were if I remember correctly, this it's basically the Lord of the Rings that put Orlando Bloom on the map, and. You know, a lot of good things came out of this for a lot of people. A lot of careers got made by Lord of the Rings. And it's yet, at the same time, I get the idea that the people who made these movies, like I say, they got something a lot more out of it than than just that. And so, I don't know. It's, uh, this actually, this actually sounds like it might be an interesting book. Because again, I, I know I keep saying that you know, ignorance is bliss when it comes to all this behind the scenes stuff. You maybe don't want to know certain things, or maybe you don't want to, you don't want to, um, maybe you just don't want to sully your image of the movie, you know? Maybe you had a certain idea of what it was really like to be on set, and your enjoyment of the movie is just so high that you don't want to take the risk of finding out that so-and-so's an asshole or something like that. But, you know, I get the idea that, like I say, these people who made this thing, they really did like each other. And so, um, I don't know. I think I'm, you know, number one, I do, I, I am going to read the book. Um, and number two, I actually think, I think this is going to be one of those books that's actually worth reading. 
you know? So anyway, and this is not to speak of the fact that Sean Astin, look, it's not like I've ever met the guy, not even at a con, but he just seems like a good guy, you know? He uh, he just seems like somebody you'd, you'd want to meet uh, at the bar, knock back a few a few beers with, and just kind of shoot the shit, you know? He just, he just seems like that kind of guy to me, you know? So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, though. So uh, excuse me while I get a sip off of my orange vanilla Coke. And yes, I, uh, I do finally have an orange vanilla Coke. It, um, <clears throat> it's not in a can, which, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing, but... <clears throat> mm, good stuff. Maybe it's a good thing that uh, it's not in a can. I don't know. It's getting kind of hard to find this shit in a can, to tell you the truth. Originally, I was able to find this stuff, like, only in a can. You know, I would go up to H-E-B, and there, you know, there it, it, it'd be on the soda aisle. Plenty, plenty of orange vanilla Coke to, to choose from. Um, and then, fucking, the lockdown started, and what I attributed all this to at the time is the fucking Karens were going out, and... Uh, buying up all of my orange vanilla coke and it just made this stuff impossible to find and you know what for all i know that may even be true all right i don't I, I don't actually know what i can say though is that whatever the cause of this may be it's a lot easier to find this stuff orange vanilla coke it's a lot easier to find this stuff in bottles than than in cans and so well i mean i guess if it has to be bottles then Fuck it. I guess it has to be bottles. So, either way, this is, uh, it's the hand I've been dealt. So, excuse me while I get a little bit of uh, vapor here. And now I'm surrounded by a cloud of vapor. How perfect is that? All right. So uh, now this other this other package this uh, this has a different character uh, drawn on there. Just bear with me while I get pictures of this. Um, Mark, I'm saying this with all love, affection, and respect. I don't actually know who this character is supposed to be. Um, it looks, it actually kind of sort of reminds me in a way of, um, you remember Mr. McGruff, uh, crime dog McGruff from the eighties. He was this kind of PSA character that would, uh, uh, tell kids to take a bite out of crime. You know, if you, you know, back when, if you see something, say something that was the, uh, that was, that was a, that was policy, but that was, they didn't use that that exact phrase, you know, if you see something, say something. And honestly, one of the reasons I don't believe in if you see something, say something is people do see something, they do say something, and then the people who are responsible for investigating whatever the fuck those people saw don't actually do anything because doing so might be racist or something like that. It's just fucking retarded. So if you see something, please do say something, but for God's sake, don't expect too much, uh, of anybody to actually do anything because uh when it comes time to actually do something 
Well, that's where the system kind of falls the fuck apart a little bit. So anyway, excuse the rant, but I'm just trying to ramp for time here while I open this thing. But point being, that's what the um, uh, illustration on the uh, package kind of reminds me of. Uh, Crime Dog McGruff. So there you have it. I'm going to try to open this thing. Got my pocket knife here. And, you know, the uh, the Sean Astin book, that was a hardcover and by virtue of it being a hardcover, it was actually a lot easier to open the package. Whatever this is, I assume it's a pa it, it's a, a paperback book. It's not being quite as cooperative with me, so just bear with me here. I've already got one little boo-boo on my finger here, so I'm going to try to avoid killing myself. Something tells me my wife won't be very happy with me if I end up having to take a trip to the hospital because I'm a big stupid head sometimes. But this, I don't know, it seems like this is finally working. Alright, so here we go. Alright. Okay, finally got this thing open. Alright, so, uh, let's just get an idea of what we're dealing with here. See, originally I, I, I'd sort of taken it for granted that this was going to be another something-something Tolkien-related. But now I'm, I'm really ah, not so sure about that. Man, Mark, you really taped this thing shut. i got to tell you, bro, this is uh, turning into a mild Olympic-level event. Ah, come on. Ah, here we go. All right. Let's see. Huh. Okay, now this is kind of interesting. Let me just take a little picture here, and then I can elaborate on what exactly it is that I'm looking at. All right. All right, so this thing is called... Um, this is called Walking with Frodo by Sarah Arthur. And the little backside blurb of it says, Are you a Lord of the Rings junkie? Can't get enough? Want more? That's a little heading. And uh, the blurb itself actually says, J.R.R. Tolkien was a believer in Christ who wove his faith into his writing. Which is true, by the way. Um, there are some people out there who somehow they've gone all this time without really knowing that. But yeah, it is true that uh, uh, Tolkien, not only was he a very devout Catholic, but I guess in... in the in in modern terms uh we would probably refer to him as a traditional catholic a trad catholic um i don't think he was a rad trad but i do think it's pretty obvious that he was a he was a trad catholic and you know he had a very high affection for the latin mass and as is kind of typical for a lot of catholics a a very uh a very high view of the Blessed Sacrament of the Eucharist. And so you can see elements of his, his uh, Catholic faith and just the influence that had on him. You can see that in things like Limbus bread or 
I would even say characters like Galadriel. I mean, I think it would be inaccurate to say that she's a direct and exact analog of Our Lady. But it's like at the same time, you can't really ignore the similarities between Galadriel and Our Lady. It's just, to me, it's it, it's just, it's so obvious. So anyway, but uh, get back in the blurb though. Uh, blurb says, J.R.R. Tolkien was a believer in Christ who wove his faith into his writing. His heroes fight a war against the forces of darkness, a war in which every decision counts. Walking with Frodo leads you through nine pairs of choices, darkness or light, betrayal or loyalty, deception or honesty, to name just a few, and reveals what the Bible has to say about each. This devotional will help you apply those truths to decisions you make every day, sending you on a life-changing journey of your own. Are you ready for the challenge? And the Arthur, like I say, um, or Arthur, sorry, bit of a Freudian slip there. The author is named Sarah Arthur. Boy, it's easy to get mixed up with this stuff. Um, anyway, the author, her name is uh, Sarah Arthur, and uh, the little blurb about her says, Sarah Arthur earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in Literature and Intercultural Christian Education from Wheaton College. I have no idea what the fuck that means. This former youth director now spends her time as a freelance author, speaker, editor, and illustrator. Sarah enjoys writing poetry, reading, backpacking, sailing, skiing, and hanging out with kids. She and her husband, Tom, make their home in Petoskey, Michigan. And, um, I don't know, let's... I just want to take a glance at the table of contents here, and let's just see what we've got. Okay. Week one. Okay, so choosing darkness, light, choosing pride, humility, choosing corruption. And, uh, um, yeah, let's just take a look at that one. Let's just see what we've got here. I, I, I don't think I want to read the entire thing again, because I don't really know what the legalities of that might be. Um, and especially in this case, I mean, some of this obviously is copyrighted Tolkien work. Other parts of this are going to be copyrighted Sarah Arthur work. So I, I really want to tread lightly here, but, uh, let's see, um, flipped over. This is, uh, page 23 it says part one, choosing pride and the little inscription here from Lord of the Rings says, yet such is oft the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world. Small hands do them because they must, while the eyes of the great are elsewhere. That's a quote from Master Elrond from the Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapter 2. Let's see what we've got. Uh, uh, flipping over to chapter, or rather page 24, it says, It's weird how you never really get a look at the bad guy, except for the brief glimpse of the armor-clad Sauron in the opening moments of the movie, there's no scene of the Dark Lord flexing his muscles and scaring the daylights out of everybody. You never see him on the throne of Mordor barking out orders or plotting his next move. He's never shown pacing back and forth in the topmost part of the Dark Tower muttering, I must stop them. I will stop them. In fact, the only thing you ever see is that enormous, unblinking eye rising above the fire and the smoke to cast its awful gaze over Middle-earth. I'm just going to flip ahead here a little bit. He is pride itself. Pride is the source of the tumult and conflict in the Lord of the Rings, the driving force behind the War of the Ring itself. It affects every character from the greatest to the least, and no one is exempt from the struggle. 
Even the good guys who want so desperately to save Middle-earth face the temptation to think to themselves, perhaps I, alone of all, have the strength to accomplish this thing. Perhaps I could withstand the power of the ring. In short, they wish to fight strength with strength, pride with pride, insisting that their good motivations will exempt them from evil results. Now, I don't know, it sounds like there's some Thomist kind of uh, thinking in that, um, or underlying that, not in that, but underlying it. Like, ultimately, we're going to get a little bit of uh, Thomism that comes out of that. Let's see. I'm, again, I don't know about the legalities of reading, reading this whole thing, so I just want to skip around here a little bit and see what we've got. As Gandalf well knows, this is on page 28, as Gandalf well knows, pride has the potential to destroy the fellowship, no matter how good everyone's motives may be. But pride may also be the key to Sauron's defeat. Gandalf explains this to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. Quote, that we should wish to cast him down and have no one in his place is not a thought that occurs to his mind. That we should try to destroy the ring itself has not yet entered into his darkest realm." Unquote. As Sauron's eye roves elsewhere, bent on securing his position of power, a small frightened hobbit named Frodo must make his way to the heart of darkness and cast the ring into Mount Doom. It's a slim chance, but it just might work. And honestly, maybe that's about as much as I need to read, you know. it Basically, this is just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, what the book is about. And I guess to kind of tie this all back to Christianity, since that does seem to be the stated purpose of this book. Uh, the final elements of this uh, say, The Word on Pride. Take some time to read one of the more, uh, one or more of the following passages. Second Samuel. Uh, 22, 28, Proverbs 11, 2 to 3, uh, St. Matthew 23, uh, St. Matthew 23, 23 to 28, St. Luke 18, 9 to 14, and going further, the thing says, this is almost kind of like a workbook sort of exercise here that you can, I guess, go through in a group if you're so inclined. It says, going further, why is pride so dangerous? In what ways is pride perhaps blinding you from seeing, seeing yourself correctly? Why did the Pharisees' attitude of spiritual pride make Jesus so angry? As per St. Matthew 23. In what ways have you seen spiritual pride at work in yourself or others? And then finally, what are you going to do about it? And I think maybe that's about as much into that book as I need to get. If you find this book um, interesting, captivating, um, I say go ahead and give it a shot. At a glance, this seems to be broadly non-denominational. Um, there is a lot about, like I say, about Lord of the Rings that um, relates specifically to Catholicism because that, you know, that's the brand, for lack of a better way to put it, that's the brand of Christianity that uh, Tolkien was familiar with, he was raised in. And that's what he understands. And it seems that this book is an, an attempt to be a little bit more non-denominational about things. I'm kind of sensitive to this type of stuff. I, I'd like to think that I can smell Protestantism like a fart in a car. And it seems that's basically what she's trying to do is make this maybe not specifically Protestant, but like I say, a little bit more non-denominational. And 
maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, I maybe I'm wrong about that. But that's that just seems to be the flavor of how all of this stuff is written. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, that's the impression I get after just flipping through a couple pages here. So anyway, all in all, this actually does sound kind of interesting. Uh, so, uh, Mark, um, thank you very much for uh, thinking of me and wanting to send this to me. Um, this, I don't know, this just seems kind of interesting to me. So, uh, but Mark, all due respect, I, uh, of the two, I think I find the Sean Astin book um, a little bit more, a little bit more intriguing, you know, I, and I'm not saying, I hope that doesn't sound like, uh, I hope that doesn't sound too dickish or anything, you know, because I, I do mean that, you know, in a very respectful way, um, you know, very grateful way. I do appreciate you taking the time and the expense to uh, mail these books to me. I'm just saying that of the two, the uh, Sean Astin book. I think I'm probably going to be reading that first. If uh, uh, hopefully you, you, hopefully that's that's all right. But uh, either way, I really do appreciate you um, um, taking the time to do this. Now, um, since I'm here and since this episode is running a little bit short, um, one of the things that I do uh, I, I do think I should probably emphasize is, guys, I'm not sure if I'm even going to have uh, time to do a Lord of the Rings uh, rewatch this year. I may, I, I may not. It just, it just sort of depends. Um, and even if I do, I may not, there may not be an opportunity for me to uh, podcast about it. You know, this week's, or rather this year's uh, Lord of the Rings uh, rewatch. Uh, there may not be a, a chance for that just because of as I've said before, you know, goings on with uh, the birth of my daughter and how all that's uh, turning out and uh, the amount of time that's likely to require of me, I, I just, I may not have a, uh, an opportunity um, for that. And so, but that is, nevertheless, I mean, that is something that I've made uh, an annual habit of for a pretty long time now rewatching uh the lord of the rings trilogy so i'm sure i'm gonna have a chance at some point or another before the end of the year to do an, my annual rewatch it's just i don't think i'm gonna have a chance to uh, podcast about it you know so um anyways well uh i guess we'll just have to see how see how things go it um all in all it Well, you know what? I don't know. You know what? Fuck it. Never say never. This is, uh, who's to say, you know, who's to say. So, uh, I guess just to sort of round things out this week, um, what I want to do is get into a little bit more, um, uh, feedback. And I spent a few minutes a little while ago, um, searching around my, my inbox, trying to find something that might be Tolkien related or, uh, Lord of the Rings related and couldn't really find anything. And what I, what I did find is this is an email that was sent in by Fanboyimus Prime back in September 2015. So this is definitely something I I, I should finally uh, uh, read so that you know Prime can finally have his say here. Uh, the the subject line for this is Alias Thoughts again written by Fanboyimus Prime dated September the fourth 2015. 
Prime writes, Hey Magnus, well, you are covering Alias and decided to ask what the problem with Bendis and his writing other people have. You asked, so I'll tell you. First off is his complete and utter disregard for what's gone before unless he wrote it. Yes, writers tend to lean more towards things they've done and written, and that's fine, but Bendis won't know continuity if it bit him in the ass. I'm not expecting completely perfect levels of continuity, but among other things, had Jessica Jones uh, met uh, Flash and Peter like they were all still in high school in a flashback and alias. Also, he had Ultron get back to Earth. Only, he had already come back to Earth in Dan Slott's Mighty Avengers. Galactus coming to Earth was what woke uh, Jessica Jones up, and Peter had graduated high school for about 20 issues of the comic by that point. Yeah, no one can admit Peter graduated high school pretty quick, or rather, yeah, one can admit Peter graduated high school pretty quick in, in comic terms, but that's something else. He, de- he never used the fact the Red Hulk killed what was basically himself, which was a, a life model decoy of Ross in actuality, when he had Wonder Man and Norman Osborn badmouth the Avengers. You know, something that would serve his story if, if they were pointing out um, the flaws of the Avengers as having a murderer as, uh, of an Air Force general would work towards that rather well. Also, he had Ultron get back to Earth, only he'd already come back to Earth in Dan Slott's Mighty Avengers. Yes, Ultron has multiple fail-safes and backup copies, but Ultron already was in another dimension and able to get back to Earth anytime he wanted. There is his ditching the Living Tribunal, making it so the Infinity Gems would not be used together ever again. It was mentioned, but swept aside... Uh, we got a barking puppy in the living room. Huh. Lucy, shut the fuck up! Anyway, getting back into Prime's email, he says, It was mentioned, but swept aside for his, I gotta use retcons to make my story as actually, naturally building, it is impossible. As actually, naturally building it is impossible build up to secret invasion. I put that in a lot of continuity screw-ups Marvel has made in the Genesvel rebooting the universe so Eternity's son is Eternity while also batshit insane really fucked things up. Yeah, using continuity to explain uh, their lack of it is the kind of guy that I am. Also, Peter David's Captain Marvel stuff is really good. Also, Bendis is slow as molasses on, on a winter day with his plots. He dragged out Spider-Man's origin, uh, uh, origin to, six, to six issues in the Ultimate Verse, and that is too damn long for the story. An issue or two should be enough to tell that story. And yes, I got the first issue of that on a free comics day and was annoyed he was dragging out the classic story. And Prime, I'm going to put your email on pause here to say that I can kind of agree with that, and basically the way that it was put to me I don't know how true this is, but the way that I've heard others say it, the way I've heard Bendis say it, is that he would basically um, keep writing, you know? He would write a story, and he would just write and write and write and write and write until somebody told him, okay, it's time to finally finish the fucking story. And then he'd finish it, you know? He wasn't necessarily out to make a story short, you know? 
what he really wanted. And I can't say I completely relate to this, but what he really wanted was to uh, basically just keep writing until he was told to stop writing. And then he would start writing something else. And that seems to have been the case with uh, with Ultimate Spider-Man and the uh, and the first arc. Like I think you I think you got it right. I I, I swear to think that is <clears throat> uh, numbers one uh, Ultimate Spider-Man numbers one through six. That that's the uh, the first uh, story arc. Was it actually? You know what? Now now I'm starting to second. Well, whatever. I'll just say it was six issues, but now I'm actually kind of starting to wonder if it was seven. But, uh... That apparently was... was his thinking on that. So, anyway, Prime goes on to say, The all-new X-Men series as a whole is that completely. Hope they are handled uh, better in the hands of other writers. His all-new X-Men versus the Ultimate X-Men story was a complete piece of shit. A dragged-out look at the Ultimate Verse that didn't even have the dignity of having an actual X-Men versus X-Men brawl. Do hope the plot device girl that can open portals to other dimensions does get used better by other writers. The concurrent Last Testament of Xavier storyline was an eight-issue story that erased itself from existence, literally. So clearly, you haven't read those. You you haven't read those, Magnus, as you will after reading those. Go, man, those are a real piece of shit. And, uh, Prime, I think you way overestimate my willingness to... I don't know, I mean, something about Bendis on X-Men... I mean, look, I'm the guy that did the tremendous Bendis Weekly in defense of Brian Michael Bendis and his writing and all that. And yet, the idea of me reading too much of his X-Men stuff... Prime, I'm going to be completely honest with you here and say, I just... I mean, I guess it might happen. I, I don't know, but if I had to call it right now... G Prime, I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, maybe. But I just... Something about Bendis on X-Men, it just... I, I don't know. I just... I have a hard time processing that. And I can't even completely explain why. It just... It just doesn't appeal to me, I guess. Like the idea of Grant Morrison on X-Men, that works for me. Or even for that matter, you could say Joss Whedon. I mean, I mean, I I really enjoyed Joss Whedon's X Men. Uh, Grant Morrison liked his X Men, but the idea of Bendis, I I don't know about that. Prime, so maybe, maybe. And the way you're describing it, I got to tell you, you know, it doesn't really sound all that interesting. So I don't know. Uh, I may read it just so I can better understand what you're saying here, but um, again, I'm I'm just not sure. So anyway. Uh, Prime goes on to say, I don't mind you like the stuff uh, Bendis has written uh, for Marvel more than I do. That's your opinion. And I just gave you mine, and that's the re- and that's the one I got from reading his stuff and getting annoyed at things he's done in them. He's done good work, but his annoying tics and problems rear their head and annoy me sooner or later. And really, all I have uh, to say is I think I've said all my Super Robot War stuff somewhere else. Signed, Fanboy and Ms. Prime. And so, Prime, uh, first off, thanks for taking the time uh, to, to write in uh, to me like this. I must, you know, again, usual disclaimer here. I uh, regret the fact that it took so long to get to your, uh, to your email, but <clears throat> obviously I am making good on this. And 
So uh, just uh, keep writing, and I'm, I, I really am getting, getting caught up here. So anyway, and also thanks again to, uh, uh, to Mark for uh, sending in all of these books and stuff for me, because now I've got some more stuff to read as we work through uh, lockdown. And something tells me I probably am going to have some time, um, you know, taking care of uh, my daughter and everything after she's born. There's going to be time to, uh, you know, read these books and uh, just get into them. So anyway, I mean, I've got plenty of reading stuff, but these are uh, probably a lot closer to the top of the list now, I would think. So anyway, so I, I guess that's uh, that's basically it uh, for me for this week. Now, as to next week, what I want to do is uh, uh, set aside some time and uh, talk about Star Wars and specifically the Star Wars prequels. So I guess we're going to see, I don't know, I mean, next week is looking pretty busy for me, so I don't know if I'm going to have some time to record. I, I guess we're just going to have to see how things go. But if I've done things right, hopefully... The next episode that you hear, it's going to be about uh, the Star Wars prequels and certain facets, because there are certain, there are specific elements of the Star Wars prequels that I want to talk about, but uh, that's for next week. So I think that's pretty much it for me for this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, 
Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included, many will enter, few will win, the white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only, all models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.